Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, this is Ruben Loftus-Cheek. This is William. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. Coming at you part two of this week. Um, you know, as we mentioned in the first part, just too busy of schedules to really uh, fit in our normal recording session. So we're just going to stretch this one out for a nice Sunday stroll. Unfortunately, Dan, that is not something that, you know, you should be doing with other people right now because of the whole situation we're in. So instead, we'll just Sunday stroll on the old podcasting. Well, yeah, it's a take, take in your your mouth for a walk instead of putting your feet to the pavement and uh, that's that's what we're doing in terms of the social distancing 2020 that we've gotten ourselves into but you know good opportunity to focus on skills on building uh you know new new rhythms you know maybe you're doing some workout from home maybe you're uh working out that left arm nick and bringing that bottle from the desk up to the mouth so that you can enjoy a, a nice beverage. I know last time you talked about supporting your liquor store, your local liquor store. Is that still the case? Yeah, it's they're, they're doing curbside takeaway like like you would for takeout. So uh, I would encourage everyone if you if you if you're able to just barely leave your car and not touch another person, grab the liquor and run. That that seems like a real smart strategy right now. And my goal is that tweeds that my. Uh, <laughs> My my body is so full of liquor that the virus has a really hard time living in it. So like that's kind of my <laughs> that's kind of my overall goal. 
So, so like the the alcohol hand rub that people have been losing their mind over, which is suddenly now $700 a bottle, you're just the walking version of that. Uh, uh, so they say that rubbing alcohol is for outside injuries, drinking al- alcohol is for inside <laughs> injuries. So yeah. Yeah. I'm going to take a stab and say that's probably not what they're recommending the health professionals. Uh, I don't know. I'm pretty smart. So Could, could be on Washington's uh, Monday bulletin. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and talk about something that we might know a little something about. Uh, obviously, we, we kept tweets on for part two because uh, we had talked about maybe talking about Lampard in the last episode. And clearly, that was not enough time. So uh, we're going to extend it into this one. Um, before we get into exactly what we're going to be talking about, I have to begrudgingly let Nick give us his theme of the pod for part two. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Joe Tweet Smart Pod number two, Return of the Tweets. Gotcha. I wonder where you might have taken inspiration of that from. <laughs> it's called Creative Genius. Ever heard of it? All right. So. Well, so the first one we will talk about is Frank Lampard's performance as a manager at Chelsea this season, tactically speaking. Um, and maybe even a little bit of the eye test. And then we'll talk about the club hierarchy and what they how they have done and their role to support Frank and Jody and Joe and, and the, the club as well. Cause obviously it's a, it was, you know, a transfer ban heading into the season. There's a lot that had to be done. Uh, but before we get into that, Dan, again, we want to make sure everyone knows that we are raising money responsibly for a nonprofit called feeding America. That is correct. So we are trying to use our platform, our podcast, our social accounts, and just put a little positivity back into the world and some food in people's bellies with the great work that Feeding America does all year round and has done for a very long time, but specifically with their response to the COVID-19 relief fund that they've had for food banks across the United States. What's really cool is a dollar that you donate Uh, is going to be matched by us. And then we have also had a listener, uh, Caleb, who's a very good friend of ours now, uh, double down on that as well. They're going to give an additional dollar. So your $1 becomes $3 through the power of science and math. And that is going to help escalate uh, the way that they can respond to this type of crisis. And we're going to match total donations up to $1,000. So tweet at us, DM us, email us, send us a snapshot of your receipt. As Nick said in the last podcast, we don't need your credit card information. Nope. We just want to see. Yeah. And, and for those of our, our friends who are feeling a little extra generous, if you if your receipt shows over fifty dollars donated, we will uh, we're gonna send you some swag as soon as we uh, as soon as we can because we just want to do a little extra thanks uh, for for your hard effort there. Please check us out on social again. We have the ability to, to donate well over three thousand uh, dollars to this food bank and help those in need. Again, with the amount of listeners we have out there, we don't even need a dollar per listener to hit this goal. And again, if we get one dollar per person out there, I mean, we'll be well, well beyond the $3,000 kind of soft goal that we have for this. So appreciate all your help. Um, again, only if you can, we're not, you know, we want to make sure that in this time of need, everyone takes care, um, you know, of what they need to in their personal lives as well. But hard transition into Frank Lampard. It, 
it might seem just normal at this point, but remember, this is very new. Lampard has not even been in charge at Chelsea for 12 months. Um, but I think that just goes to kind of lead into this, Dan, is it? It just feels so right. It just seems like a good thing as Lampard manager. But I think we also need to be able to take a step back while it feels good. Uh, how has he done? You know, kind of what are some of the pros and cons that we've seen from him in the team this season? What are the things that he probably could have done a better job that he controls? And then obviously there's a lot of external things that he couldn't control, such as a transfer ban, injuries, VAR being so piss poor, um, whatever else you may be. Uh, but I think this would be a good time to kind of dive into, you know, his very, very short tenure at this point. Well, he's not Oz great and all powerful. So it's, uh, it's, he's not a time traveler. He can't go back and fix the transfer dealings in the past that led us to a transfer ban. But we are here today. And yeah, I think there's a lot of good that we could talk about that Frank has done. I think there's some matches if we go back and look at them, might have some patterns behind what is maybe been the things that are improvement areas for him. And, you know, I think like all of us would get a progress report from our job, you know, a review at some point saying, Hey, this is what you did well this year. This is what your opportunities are. And, and Joe, you know, we've, we've had the chance to wax poetically about it on a week in week out basis. So maybe throwing to you first, uh, what, what are your top two or three positives for Frank in the, in the first season and what you've seen so far? I think it's, Certainly for me, a a transition away from, obviously, I mean, Eden Hazard's gone, but a transition away from complete reliance on one player. Um, I think, you know, obviously there have been players over the past however many years Hazard was here that have, that have been huge for us. But in terms of how we've we've attacked, in terms of how the team has been set up, even with guys like Diego Costa here, he was fantastic. And, and others, when we've won league titles, etc., I think Hazard has been such a crutch for players around him. You know, the the you know the, the over-reliance in terms of getting the ball to him as quickly as possible, that area, and just hoping that, that he is the difference in some games. I think the <clears throat> the kind of I don't want to call it a seamless transition because it, it certainly hasn't been seamless. I think there have been some difficulties, but being able to move away from from that reliance on Hazard. Um, Probably for me, it's one of the most most impressive things that, that that Lampard has been able to do in such a short space of time. And as we've alluded to, without adding a you know without adding a ton of quality to the squad as well, um, and kind of leads me on to probably my my second one would probably just be the integration of young players. I think I'm I'm probably known on social media and certainly podcasts of being very pro academy players, and it's been quite rewarding certainly for me to see the the kind of the the use of them and and the growth of these players over the over the season and just the the faith and trust in them, what Lampard and, and Jody Morris and Joe is, et cetera, having them and how that's kind of rewarded them with, with some, some excellent performances, you know, again, not without teething pains, not without growing pains um, and, and sort of problems in terms of, you know, being super, super consistent at a high level every single week. But the fact that we are in fourth, having played, you know, a, a large core of the team who, who were not sort of present last season, having lost, the player that the team has been built around for five plus seasons. Um, I think that probably has been the most impressive thing for us. Uh, and yeah, I mean, again, you know, it, it, it's kind of Frank Lampard. So, I mean, watching him, him react to big wins, you know, the, the last minute, uh, not last minute, but sort of the, the Tammy Abraham uh, winner at Arsenal, the, the goals against Tottenham, seeing how he and then the, 
the coaching staff react to some of those moments, you kind of get the impression that they 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 feel it in the same way that, that you do watching. I think that's important. So probably those three things, yeah. I mean, it's the the, the moving away from hazard, um, the the kind of the the real kind of promotion and pushing for for young players to get opportunities and standing behind them. And then I think it's the the, the kind of the feeling that I think and the understanding that he's brought back to the football club, that which I think has been a little bit disconnected, certainly with uh, Maurizio Sarri last season. Yeah, Nick, I think we actually didn't even put the the kind of the walk the pathway from academy to first team, which. We definitely should have because he deserves credit for that. But some of the things we had were fourth place as it stands in the table, even if it doesn't seem super secure. <laughs> as it stands, fourth place. Second most chances created behind Liverpool, who are obviously on, were on a record-setting pace. Uh, blistering football at times. Don't worry, we have cons coming up later, so there's definitely an other side to that one. Uh, I really like what, you know, you know, pride back in the club. I think we've seen that overwhelmingly, especially with the match-going uh, fans as well. And then wins over rivals, except United for some reason, which I can tell you that might be a con. So I yeah. guess between what Joe said and some of the things that we had brainstormed together, I guess what are some of your pros from Lampard and the things that you felt he's done a really good job of this season? Well, I mean, and we're going to talk in depth about youth promotion, so so we kind of made its own a, a, a section of its own there um, for that because it's such a, a integral part. But I have been... I have been a person this year that didn't have the highest expectations for a league finishing place. I think I predicted us finishing sixth at the beginning of the year. Um, I have been really down at times this season um, because we've lost to teams that we shouldn't lose to. And then, you know, for, for Chelsea to come back against Arsenal away, uh, for Chelsea to beat Spurs twice, for Chelsea to pull some of these results out, beating Liverpool in the FA Cup, shows that there is a true pathway forward to competing at the highest level, even if it's not consistent right now. And so, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking at this season, and I'm hoping that we finish in a Champions League place because I think you know the, the financials kind of dictate that we have to if we want to go make some of the moves that we want to. But I, I'm hoping that some of these incredible moments are, are an indication of things to come and not kind of an aberration of, of poor form, Dan. So I think those are the things that I'm looking at right now that, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit of pride and a little bit of uh, kind of uh, positivity, which is not usually my strong suit. <laughs> yeah, he's been able to integrate in some of that winning mentality, do or die, that he had as a player into some of these performances, into some of these youth players. And I think some of that is also just those youth players that the Mason, the Reese, the Tammy grew up watching Lampard play for Chelsea. And so they got a chance to see it as a player and now get it from him as a, as a manager. But the responses in some of these matches that the come from behind at Ajax, the wins versus Tottenham, there have been some games that you know, are gonna. I think go. We're gonna go back and look at them ten years from now, and it's gonna be a, a classic, right? It's gonna be something that you know. Hopefully, during the uh, the next time we have to experience this much of social distancing, we'll throw it up on the on the television because it's gonna be a great moment to go back to. And I think what I have enjoyed is his 
also his ability as a someone who has been in the media long enough with his work for uh, all the different companies to be able to manage the conversation in a way that has not put any extra onus on any particular player has you know he has done a really good job of calling out when needed but leveraging the media i think in a in a much more astute way than some of our uh, last one to two managers in terms of their <laughs> uh, their responses uh you know and, and i like that it's all prescribed joe like he has a very specific like you know chuckles has a little quip then goes into a serious answer and then kind of fight like there's a there's an actual like when you watch him back, the way he answers a question every time is almost exactly the same. The ABC approach to Lampard interviews, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, <laughs> yep. it's, uh, it's, it's, a, I, I mean, it's, it's a bit silly, but I even got to the point where I was sitting there, like, go on, go on, like doing, like, way, like when he did sort of the ABC. I was like, yes, <laughs> about before the Mexican wave kicks off. But uh, yeah, you know, I think he, that 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 certainly been something that's been uh, it's been funny this season. But I mean. He, you know, I think the benefit he has compared to other managers is that he's you know, he's got such great relationships with a lot of the people that are interviewing him. I think he gets a little bit of a uh, an easier time when you know his cousin Jamie Redknapp is speaking to him, which is quite nice that he's not being grilled by by people. But you know, it's the benefits of being fat and I suppose. Yeah, he's also. I mean, he's not been soft by any means either. I, you know, I think that's the. You know, there's there's a way to communicate your message, even if your message is difficult, and still come out the other side looking okay and and for people to understand that it's it's not just from a point of like pure anger or frustration it's that you know you know when you lose to Southampton after losing to Bournemouth it's just difficult and you're trying to figure it out and you haven't had a transfer window and all this other stuff so I think he's been given Brandon a little bit of benefit of the doubt from the press um especially because of of some of the things that were stacked against him like Joe was saying but it's been uh, it's been interesting to to kind of watch him grow in the press this year because I think that's an area that I'd never had a doubt in, but I've seen him grow. Right, um, without a doubt, because you know, I mean, managing in the you know in the Premier League is a huge jump. Let alone he's only had one season in the Championship before this. Uh, granted, he spent many years just rampaging through defenses <laughs> as a player, <laughs> so obviously he knew it. Um, you know, I. I think, you know, looking at the other side of it, right, from the cons perspective, to just to give two, both sides of the coin, um, we've had a pretty poor shot conversion. Now, how much you want to blame him for that versus players is up for debate. But the fact of the matter is, we are terrible at finishing. Our home form has been quite awful. Trouble, we have had trouble breaking down block defenses. Essentially, any relegation-threatened team, we're probably going to lose. Up and down performances from every player in the pitch, just a lack of consistency from everyone at points this season. And then he's occasionally been outwitted tactically, just didn't make adjustments or changes that would have liked to have seen. So again, Tweeds, throwing it to you right away, I guess. Uh, what are your top two um, things that you feel like Lampard really needs to focus on and, and change? Um, you know, I guess like in the short term, at least what he should focus on right away? I think possibly the the one that interests me most, and this is certainly one that I, I feel most strongly about, is the the kind of inability to, to break down these kind of low block teams that we play. And, you know, kind of a little bit into the season, we were playing this sort of free-flowing football. Um, I can't remember how many games that went on, but we, 
we came to a point where I think teams were just like, okay, well, they're probably, Chelsea are probably better than what we gave them credit for. So what we're going to do is just sit back now and, and ask some questions. And I think when we started playing those teams regularly and, and the kind of the struggle, you could see sort of the, the switch in the, the way the team played and the struggle. Um, I would probably say Lampard's reaction to that has been quite slow. I think maybe it's been only over the, maybe the past couple of games, past, I don't know, five games or so, where we've seen a real, real change in this. Um, I think that we we didn't really do enough in terms of our play style to to impact these teams. And I think some of the the, the sort of selections of players, I, th- I, it's, I think it's Newcastle away was the one that sticks out. Um, did they score like a last minute winner or that they, they, yeah. they it, you know, but I remember watching that game thinking like, okay, we've got, you know, we've got Jorginho and Kovacic on, on the pitch here. Like we need, we need to get someone on who can do something in the final third. Like it doesn't matter how imbalanced the team becomes. Like they're, they're so comfortable letting us play in front of them, they're just moving left to right. And I didn't really see that from, from Lampard. So that probably for me is, has been the, the, the biggest, the biggest concern is that we've, that teams almost had this formula to stop Chelsea. And we did very little to, to counteract that. It, you know, come, come to Chelsea or, or play Chelsea, put four at the back or five at the back, put, put a row of players in front of them in midfield and just ask them the question, like, do you have enough in your team to break us down? And, I think that this is certainly where, you know, if you're looking going back to the coaching aspect of this, Chelsea for certainly the past three seasons under Sari and, and Conte have had uh, an Italian style of management where they do a lot of this positional play on the training pitch, which is a lot of un- uncontested games and set patterns of play and these sort of set passing moves. And a lot of it is is kind of scripted almost in a sense to what they're doing. And I think the players have, have gone from a system where they're almost kind of inherently told, you know, when you receive the ball in this position, you you are expected to do A, B, or C. They've gone from that where I think Lampard is a lot more kind of I wouldn't say less uh, less stringent or less strict in terms of his coaching, but his coaching style is more about sort of empowering players to make decisions. And I think the gap between you know players that have been told to do one of three things when they receive the ball and then opening sort of taking that restrictor off and saying okay, when you receive it, like now it's up to you to make the best decisions. I don't think that that necessarily has has gone as well as planned. And I think that that probably transition between the very Italian style of coaching and what Lampard's tried to bring in, in hindsight, I think maybe they would have liked to maybe manage that a bit better because I, I certainly feel now that the success that we've had against Liverpool and and in part against Everton as well was that we were starting to be a little bit more structured in terms of in terms of how we were playing, certainly in the attacking areas. So again, I think it's a question of like learning as he goes on the job. So I think next season, the one thing I would like to see him improve upon is maybe using a little bit more structure to get more out of his players and not necessarily, um, you know, relying on them to, to, to maybe make the decisions that he would have made as a player or that Didier Drubber would have made to sort of give them a little bit more of a, a structure in place, more on their toolkit or more on their tool belt to, to actually break down these teams. Because I think if you, if you take away some of these close games we've had against these types of teams, you know, we're not just looking at top four. It's, you know, we're probably contesting City for second. We're probably not, we're not near Liverpool, but I think we're a lot, lot more comfortable um, sort of going forward. And, and yeah, I mean, that, that for me is going to be the biggest thing. Well, and I, th- I think, the, Dan, the gross irony of what Joe just said is a player like Eden Hazard would have potentially thrived even more under yeah. a Frank Lampard management mm. style because he would have had the power to make 
all of the decisions that he kind of knows how to make inherently and, and hopefully would have brought other players along with him. But want to want to get your take on the on the cons. Well, you're right in terms of the ability for Eden Hazard to freelance and just do what he does best. He would have had the opportunity for it. I don't know if he would have been as willing to put up with Fran, uh, Frank wanting, you know, high pressing, high kind of engagement all the time. Uh, we've seen a few players on this team and on this side who still feel like maybe it's okay to kind of just just cruise through you know patches of the game uh no no names in particular but uh yeah, I think there's been a, a little kind of laxative behavior at times and you know I I think I think what's interesting and maybe I would have appreciated more is in regards to those kind of performances is being maybe just being a little bit more willing to move off of his preferred player quicker to try to change things. I mean, we saw the, the reliance of the, the Mishi as the backup to Tammy. We saw Giroud not getting in earlier and we've seen Giroud coming in as that second striker or as that replacement for Tammy when he's kind of gone through injury periods and it's produced a much better result. And I know that there's contracts involved that there's situations where you know maybe he was trying to get off you know go to a different team in january and so you don't want to risk the player getting injured and then he can't make his transfer but i think being able to move quicker when you diagnose a problem is probably the larger kind of opportunity there and i think it's probably trying to broker on trust trying to build confidence and you know i think as you know someone who manages people you know that you would you know you try to give people plenty of opportunities to do something right and to prove that they're capable of doing it and work with them to make it happen. But when it's clear that it's not working, how do you move quicker in that scenario? And I think that's where I want to see Lampard approve in season two is being more quick to make a change when you see something isn't working. Yeah. I I would say like, I think team selection and getting the best out of, individual performances like we've only seen Brandon this team play a a handful of really incredible games where everyone seems dialed in and you know he can only control so much so I, I, I caveat my statement by saying he can go and do training and if a player looks amazing in training and he picks them that would seem like you know the the meritocratical right thing to do uh, but then they don't show up on the on the field on match day. And then, you know, he, he kind of looks to be made a fool of, but I think some of these up and down performances, not being able to get the, the team to gel all at once is one of the things that has been probably most frustrating for us to watch on a week to week basis. Right. Yeah. I mean, and you talk about like the form and being consistent is it's been so frustrating this season, obviously, because we've seen players perform at such a high level and then it's going, but we've seen the best manager Pep Guardiola has gotten Man City to sing for two seasons in a row. Jose Mourinho did it for two seasons in a row. Like the top managers can do it. And again, those guys had way more experience than what Frank has. So caveat in the time that he'll be afforded. But these are things that he should focus on. And I'm sure he'll be learning with with Joe and, and Jody and things like that. But I, I mean, I, I think the one thing I would say just before we kind of transition is it's still fucking exciting to get Frank Lampard on the side of this touchline, like week yep. in and week out. And the the passion, the drive, the excitement, the care for the club is 
leagues above anyone we could have put in there. And yeah, is is learning painful? Sure. Learning is supposed to be painful, though. And failures have to occur for things to improve and get better. And it failure is the greatest teacher of all. So uh, still over the moon that that's the guy on the touchline and in the press, you know, in the press meetings and coaching our players. It certainly has been boring. <laughs> quite, quite true. Hey, Tweeds, true or false, Frank's biggest mistake was not wearing a suit on the sideline. Touchline, apologize, touchline. Touchline, yeah, yeah, very close there. Um, <laughs> yes, I would say so. But it's also because he, look, he looks particularly dashing in the suit, so I think it's, uh, although he, to be fair, he, he does pull off the tracksuit better than, than some amateurs who are maybe not quite as in shape <laughs> as he is these days, but but still, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I prefer to uh, to see Lampard in the suit. He, look, he looks more kind of like business ready at that point, but. Maybe that's just me being a little bit old school. Uh, he looked quite dashing and sharp. It's just the funny comparison of, you know, Maurizio Sarri didn't take his job seriously because he didn't wear a suit. And now Lampard's out there, you know, one match wore a suit and was like, I'm done with that. <laughs> I'm just going to yeah. wear the track suit. This is way more comfortable and easier. Kind of kind of funny how that works. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, it's, the, uh, it's the, the privileges of being Frank Lampard. Yep. Quite true. <laughs> Uh, interesting when we look at his player management style. I know I can, we kind of talked about that a little bit. Um, beginning of the season, Pulisic kept him out completely and said he needs time. He needs time. He needs time. Gave him his chance, burst onto the scene, and was electric and became a very key part of the team before he got injured. Uh, Keppa making a decision to drop him and make the statement it's not good enough. Giroud, completely frozen, as Dan alluded to earlier, and now is our starting striker, just game in, game out. We don't even see Mishi anymore, unless it's a very late sub. Uh, Angola Conte, this is an interesting one. Is he using Angola Conte to the best of his abilities, or is it best to the formation's needs and things like that? So again, Tweeds, you know, just kind of lobbing some examples out to you. Uh, how have you felt, and maybe feel free to elaborate on one of these examples uh, Lamps has done with player management this season. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one. I think because because his playing career has just, just finished and it was at such a high level, I certainly feel that he he has a lot of uh, a better feel for the dressing room than I would say most managers do. Um, the Pulisic one was was certainly interesting because I mean you know although I mean you can make the argument that it technically wasn't his signing um, to to have a a sixty million pound player. Um, just not really just sitting there, you know, waiting was, was quite a big call. But I agree, you know, when he when he came into the team, I think the the, the effects were 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 devastating. Um, the only thing that I find a little bit strange about that was that there was this sort of social media thing where the club were like, "Yeah, Pulisic is injured," and he's like, "Nope, nope, I'm fine." And uh, and then and then yeah, he's he's obviously been out for a period of time. But I think I think you know, in general, Lampard maybe the timing of that was pretty good. The Kepa one for me was again. I think incredibly ballsy from from Lampard. Um, you know the the record signing for the club, the most expensive goalkeeper in in history. Um, someone who was uh, uh, at least reportedly, you know, very very um, kind of favoured by by those in the in the positions of, of power at Chelsea. Um, so to drop him not just for one game, but to keep him out for a period of time, I think was well. And I would also say certainly since he's come back, and I know it's only been a handful of games, but. You know, the, the one of the main criticisms of him is just his sort of lack of authority in the area. And I, I get certainly from a goalkeeper perspective that not all goalkeepers do that in this day and age. But, you know, where he is not uh, six foot six or whatever Thibaut Courtois was, 
you know, I think you feel that a little bit more with a six at one goalkeeper than maybe you do with someone who's six three, six four, six five, whatever. So it's nice to see him coming for stuff and being a bit more aggressive. Giroud, I think you could probably lump him in with Pedro as well. Um, interesting one because I think certainly with with Pedro, um, you know, he he has looked fresh the second half of the season, and I don't think that that's been by design. I think again, it was someone that potentially was being looked as uh, a potential casualty in January, but. You know, Giroud is, is a strange one because I actually think, and although that you know, there's a very small sample size on this, but he, for me, kind of knits together the Chelsea attack. You know, he has yeah. the the hold-up qualities that I would love to see Tammy Abraham develop to be a better player. Um, you know, he sacrifices himself more deeper to bring others into the game and it encourages Chelsea to be more attacking. And it's, it's no real surprise that I think, you know, Ross Barkley has played well with him. I think Mason Mount, when he's dropped into midfield, has looked a bit better in that position with a a more focal point of a striker. Um, so that's going to be an interesting one to see because, you know, I think Tammy has to has to learn from Giroud because, you know, yeah. it's it's difficult to just be a finisher in a team that that maybe doesn't create. Uh, although, as you look at the stats, I mean, I. I I think we create chances. I, I would question whether we create the the, the best quality of chances. Um, but certainly for, for Tammy, I think he has to be more involved in the general game like Giroud is. Um, Kante, again, is, is a peculiar one because I just think that he he's sort of showing the signs of, of slowing down, sort of certainly at the back end of last season. Um, you know, just the, the volume of running that he was doing, having to, to cover for, for other players in midfield was was insane. I remember seeing some of his running stats and you just sort of question how someone really can do that. You know, I mean, maybe in a 90-minute jog, you'd be quite comfortable, but also then trying to play a game of football in the middle of doing that 90-minute jog seems a little bit exceptional. Um, but it'd be, you know, Kante is going to be an interesting one because I think if the club feel that he is, let's say, the, the you know, the other side of the of the bell curve now in terms of his development as a player, are these injuries now getting to the point where they're going to limit his physicality, limit his, his capacity to, to move? Um, you know, potentially a candidate that the club would be entertained looking to sell. You know, it's the... You know, the whole Bill, Be- Bill Belichick thing of, of, you know, you'd rather get rid of someone too early. Like you look at Tom Brady going to the Buccaneers, get rid of someone too early and get rid of them too late. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see yeah. to see how that pans out. But uh, I think those those ones are interesting. And then again, you go into the the, the younger players. I think um, you know, some of them have maybe played a little bit too regularly. I'm looking maybe at, at Tammy. Um, certainly his injuries for me seems to be like an accumulation of playing time and fatigue and all the sort of stuff that comes into it. Um, and, and certainly looking at how Giroud's played the past couple of games, you'd have to suggest that potentially he probably could have played more. But I mean, for those, yeah, for those that we're looking at, I think that there's that there's there's positives and there's there's negatives. But I think overall Lampard's probably a pretty good, pretty good kind of man manager in terms of how he's handled players. Um, certainly, I think the, the way that he handled the Kepa situation, considering that the blow up that Kepa had last season was, was probably to be commended. Yeah, I mean, I think just to quickly add on that, for me, the Drew piece has been maybe an admission of of fault from Lampard um and and I think that's okay right like the no one expects Frank Lampard to be perfect um I I think if if the situation were Maurizio Sarri last year he would have never admitted fault (laughs) he would have never played him just on on principle and and I think Lampard looked at the situation looked at Mishi's numerous performances throughout the kind of early season period and just said, you know, Hey, Drew's here through the end of the year. So, you know, let's, let's put him out there and see what's going on. And your point, uh, Joe on, on Giroux that'll, that'll pass to Dan is 
he looked hungry. He looked like he was still in it mentally. Yeah. And, and I think it's a huge credit to his professionalism uh, that he was able to come in and do such a good job after being essentially frozen out. But, but Dan, why don't you take one of the, uh, one of the prohibitive favorites? Oh boy. Yeah. There's uh, a lot of them there. And I think, you know, we, we touched on briefly the, you know, the Pulisic one. And I, I think that's another one where it was the, the right call. I mean, the, he had the first couple of games that he appeared in kind of went into, into shutdown for a little bit, came back out and, and his ability to kind of, control the narrative in those moments I think was extremely positive and I think allowed you know from my perspective would allow someone to be able to focus on getting the work done because you've been appropriately shielded by you know your boss your manager you think about all the people maybe you've worked for previously in your career and maybe you're not doing something right or there's an opportunity to be doing it better and you you have the boss who just kind of blankets it all under the team need to do something or what they could be doing differently. And that gives you the confidence to kind of build up to you know, respond to the moment or the situation the right way. And so, yeah, I think the the man management piece is probably the, the A plus plus area of Frank. And I think the only thing is just maybe moving a little quicker when uh, he reads the situation, I think it balancing the time he gives someone with the, the opportunity cost of, you know, if Drew potentially had played a few more matches, if, if Pedro had come in a few more times, would we be more secure kind of in our, our fourth place position, our, you know, being in third place or potentially even challenging City for, for second? You think? Nah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well. <laughs> this team's been nicknamed, Brandon, the great unpredictables, so you oh don't know. Oh, my gosh. Honestly, it has been an absolute roller coaster, which we've talked about. Um but uh, before we get into the youth, we are going to take a quick break. Uh, but we want to talk about who he's promoted from the academy and, and from brought in from loan, his in-game tactics. And then we'll get Tweed's perspective on the, his favorite match of the season. And then we'll all jump in on the worst match of the season. So thanks to the sponsor for financially supporting the show. We will be right back. All right. I think one of the probably top two things that everyone is most excited about Lampard this season one think the unifying the fans it was nasty last season uh and the pride in the club is probably number one a very close second nick has to be the amount of young chelsea bred players that are in the team not just filling homegrown roster spots but playing valuable minutes. Because I think that was the metric we've always seen with, yes, Mourinho's had some players over the season, you know, different managers, whoever they may be. You know, Maurizio Sarri was, you know, getting pressure for Callum Hudson early last season. Not only are they on the team, they're playing meaningful minutes this season. Yeah, and, and starting ahead of, of far more seasoned veterans, which I think is is an indication of where Frank wants to go with this. Um I remember we did a summer pod all together, all four of us last year. We were kind of wondering, you know, this is after Frank was hired, given a transfer ban, given Hazard leaving, like how much trust would he put in in some of the young talent? And I think Joe was probably the most bullish on on that piece. But, man, I, I don't even know if, if we even came close to understanding how much emphasis he was going to put in the – uh, in the transition from either a loan or an academy to, to the first team. And, 
you know, you look at the likes of Mason and Tammy and Fakayo and Reese and Billy. Um, and by the way, I, I love that we all use first names with these young players. Like they're our family and friends. Um, I, I think that's always <laughs> been funny to me. Um, but you, you look at, you know, Dan, I'll take Mason. Maybe you can, you can go down the list here. You look at the immense amount of trust that he put in Mason Mount from minute one of the season all the way until, until now. And it's clear that he, despite some up and down performances, despite not having maybe the, the chance conversion that, that we'd all expect, he believes in Mason Mount to a point where he is willing to start him over. Pick your, pick your player in the team. He started over right wing, left wing, number 10 in the midfield. Like he's been kind of an, a utility belt player this season for Frank. It's been really impressive uh, to watch Mason fight through struggles, to watch him grow, and uh, and it's clear that he's he's now a part of the plan moving forward. Well, not just him. You look at what you know Reese James coming in has done, which is for all intents and purposes put you know uh, in our our back three meant that he gets to to play as uh, one of the wingbacks, so kind of in that back five situation. But when we're doing the back four, it's typically you know pushed Azpilicueta over and benched uh, two players in that regard. He's helped <laughs> to bench Alonzo and Emerson in, in one swift move by uh, him coming into the side and just being an absolute unit and allowing players to basically break off of him as they collide into him as the immovable object. It, it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's it, kind of a joy to see. I mean, it's, you know, you see how excited you know, Jody's been, Joe has been, in addition to Frank, and the way that the support has rallied around these players has been uh, pretty exceptional. And, you know, it's not just him. Like, Tino's gotten time, Ian's gotten time, Mark's gotten time. And, and you're right. You know, we, we are referring to them all by first names because they, they feel like family, Joe. They're individuals who've been at the club from, you know, U8 levels and beyond and are getting significant opportunities to impress in the Premier League in the way that, you know, this is... Yeah, I think as our friend Chelsea Youth also put out, no Chelsea manager in history has introduced as many youth team players to the first team environment. Yeah, um, I think one of the a very very long time ago, I was having a uh, a chat in uh, DMs with uh, someone who is now fairly prominent in the Chelsea staff. But uh, you know, at the time, he he said to me that he never felt that the the boys in the academy would ever get a chance until there were, and I've used the quotes because I remember it very vividly, like proper Chelsea men um, in the dugout and actually managing the first team. And then probably when when we were speaking about this, this was a good number of years ago now, so it felt a little bit like a sort of a distant dream. But and I also really like the uh, the the kind of words that Chelsea youth uh, you know always uses in these sort of situations. You know, it's not just a question of of playing them; like you actively have to want to do it. You have to see it as part of the the, the kind of the makeup of the club, the identity of the club, the philosophy that you're trying to bring in. You, know, you have to want to give young players opportunities. It's not just a question of sitting there and listening to people tell you that they're not good enough or that if they have a, a five-minute cameo in a League Cup game and they don't set the world on fire, that yeah, you know, they're overhyped and this, that, the other. You know, it's it's a real question of of listening to people that have worked with them from you know, under 16s all the way to 18s to under 23s who have even worked with them in the professional capacity have, have been key sort of cornerstones of their development as footballers and then actually taking a view on what they think they can contribute to Chelsea. And, you know, I think 
it's it's been obviously for someone like me and and, and others who are super kind of uh, you know, advocates for for using the academy and not just from the you know the economic standpoint which we sort of alluded to in the in the previous episode but more from a, a personal standpoint you know it's great to see guys who who kind of feel the club understand the club and you know guys like Mason Mount who you know I don't think you have to tell some of these guys you know what it means when Chelsea play Arsenal when they play Tottenham you know what what a London derby means to them you can see the the, the meaning the 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 understanding when they are academy players under 16, you know, when they beat Tottenham, there's like, it's, it's a big thing for them and they, they understand it from a very young age. So to see the the progress that they've made this season, the number of debuts, the number of guys who aren't just uh, artifacts, who aren't just there to, to tick some sort of box for the club that, you know, to give X number of players a debut, you know, they've been really integral pieces in a, in a league campaign, which hopefully, you know, if, if when the season resumes, will result in Chelsea again being in the Champions League. So, you know, I don't think I've I've seen or would have would have ever been in a situation where I dream that some sort of scenario like this happens. But the, the the club then have to continue it. It can't just be something that now that Chelsea have the ability to buy players that again falls to the falls to sort of the, the the kind of the background and we continue operating the way that we have done for a number of years. So, I think that this is a foundation. I think that it's something that Lampard. Morris and Edwards, like it, it's part of who they are as in in their DNA. It's part of what they want to do. So, you know, we should hopefully continue to see the best, uh, the best and brightest of Chelsea's academy being given opportunities to show what they can do in the first team. To not always necessarily have to go out on loan and then come back and and reacclimatize, but actually to give them give them opportunities off the bat and see see who can who can make the grade straight away. Um, it's going to be it's going to be so interesting to see how this pans out over the next two three seasons because yeah it's all well and good at you know kind of bringing through players when you can't spend a penny but if Lampard now has the opportunity to to go and buy an 80 90 million pound midfielder you know and they have someone promising in that position that they think is is potentially going to be good in two three seasons time that that uh, will be for me the the real kind of telling point of, of where we are in this evolution but it's been it's been fantastic to watch and you know, I hope that it certainly continues um, and, and particularly because you know the, the the guys coming through over the next three four years, there were some immensely talented, immensely immensely talented kids in those groups. And you know we're looking at the, the likes of Mason and those guys establishing themselves. The, the groups that are coming through now potentially, and, and you know this is not just my opinion, but opinions of people who work in the academy and, and people around the game that look after younger players. You know the, the opinion is that there are groups coming through now that certainly are of the same level or potentially better. So it, it's, it'll be great to see that continue through. I love it. Lee Parker, every year, he's like, yeah, you always say, it. hey, this is this is the golden generation. Next season, it won't be as good. And then those guys show up, and they're just as good, if not better. It's just, this, <laughs> it's just a convey it, about. Uh, it's crazy. Um, so if we move into his in-game tactics, I guess, you know, how well do, Nick, do you feel like Frank is able to read the game and make the necessary changes and his quality of subs. Now, granted, his quality of subs is somewhat out of his control based on who he's got healthy right now, especially in the second half of the season. Um, but I would say he he's not always one to make like-for-like substitutions. I feel like we have seen a lot of late formation changes. And I remember one time, I forgot who we were playing, but we needed a goal, and Mourinho put JT up top just so it was a target. And he was essentially there just to win everything in the air. Um, yep. now we, again, we haven't been anything that desperate of a situation. Um, but I feel like he's got it in his locker if he, if he wanted, if he had to. Yeah. I, I mean, we could do a whole tactics pod and we probably will given the immense amount of free time that we have coming up. But I think the, 
just the quick and, and dirty on this is that whereas Maurizio Sarri was was not tactically tactically flexible and only made like for like changes for the most part last season, Frank Lampard has swung the other way completely and almost been too tactically flexible at times. There have been a lot of formations played. There have been a lot of in-game adjustments. You can make the question whether, um, you know, sometimes he recognizes the faults in his tactical plan early enough if we're, if we're not playing well, Dan. But uh, I think he's had the ability to read and make changes. You know, I think the, the clear example of that was the Arsenal away match where after 25 or 30 minutes, he, he recognized the whole thing was busted and, and needed to put Jorginho in and, uh, change the game. So I think, you know, it's that and it's also not being able to break down block defenses on the other side for a long period of time this year. The the block defenses, and, and Joe alluded to this earlier, was probably the one that was most frustrating because you saw the line of games we were going to play against teams like Burnley or Newcastle, and you just you knew how they were going to set up, you knew how tactically they were going to play, and we just hadn't figured out or couldn't figure out a way forward with it. And kind of learn that maybe you just start crossing balls to Giroux and other players in the box and maybe some magic happens if you can beat them on the break. And yeah, I, I think that that's stuff that will come with more time, with more baking in the oven, Brandon, where we get to see, you know, Frank gets to see more examples, more times, ends up being in more situations where he can make the right call and then also may not make the right call and and learn from that opportunity. Yeah, it's... um. You know, I think a lot of it, those always kind of come down to situational and opportunities. And you definitely learn uh, real quick in this league to defend with all the, the kind of challenges it gives you and things like that. But um, I just kind of, I, I feel like that that's one of those ones that just comes with experience. You probably aren't always going to be great at it right away from the beginning. And it, it's definitely a muscle to, to exercise. Um. Tweeds. I know we, we didn't get through the entire season. I know we didn't get through Champions League, which let's be honest, though, that that probably has run its course. But we didn't get a chance to, <laughs> they to stopped uh, us from having the comeback moment. I'm so disappointed. The Billy Gilmore <laughs> revival. <laughs> right. Uh maybe the FA Cup run. We haven't gotten, you know, that chance. But there's still been some some exciting matches this this season. And so um, if as you look back on what we've done under Frank so far this season, is there a match that stands out to you as one of your favorites? Um, you Ooh. know, maybe for many reasons. I think uh, I think Tottenham away probably for me is the one that jumps out immediately. It was, uh, you know, the the, the whole Lampard Mourinho dynamic. I think Mourinho had just gone back there from memory. I mean, it seems so long ago, but he he was quite recent, wasn't he, when he'd just gone back there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we hadn't really been uh, been able to match Tottenham in, in terms of I think often they've they've pushed us around the past couple of years, but from from the first minute from the formation change and the fact that they just they really couldn't sort of cope with us, I just think that that performance certainly in the big game I think that that would have been the one that, that Lampard or gave Lampard confidence in himself that he could go into a game of that magnitude against a manager that obviously had had shaped him really as a player. Um, and and sort of come away with with the victory. Um, I think from you know memory, the whole just the whole performance was was phenomenal. The way that we controlled the game, I think that we we were just fantastic. I think again, you know, that was a game that, that a lot of the younger players excelled in. Um, 
pretty complete performance. And I would say probably again, I mean, maybe a little bit because there's, there's some recency bias here, but I thought the, the Everton performance was fantastic as well. Um, you know, with, with all going into that game, with all the news about, oh, you know, we've got so many players out and everyone's injured and Ross Barkley is playing and all the people losing their minds to then go into <laughs> that game and just absolutely wipe the floor with them. And, you know, I think they've, they've been a pretty decent team under Carlo and, you know, a lot of people were making excuses, you know, Everton weren't great, but I think, I think we made them look poor. Um, and, and it's a bit of a shame, you know, in terms of the season ending because the Liverpool game followed by the Everton game, that's, that to me seemed to be like a little kind of boost for the, for the team. And it felt like, you know, that they, they could have capitalised on that and, and potentially pushed on. I'm, you know, being a little bit facetious by saying that we'll, we'll go to Bayern and, and smash them, you know, with the, with the Giroud-led revival with Gilmore in midfield. But it would have been nice to have actually gone there and had a, had a team that was a bit more confident, that looked a bit more fluid. And, you know, I think that we were, we were probably set up to end the season quite strong. So I think Tottenham, because the magnitude of the game, the performance, you know, Lampard showing the tactical flexibility, getting one up on Mourinho. But then the last game against Everton, for me, probably probably was the most enjoyable one that I've seen because I just thought we were absolutely superb from front to back. I mean, it's yeah. hard to argue with those. Obviously, those were both on our list from, from last week as well. Um, but if we flip it and go around the other way, Dan, is what is, what is one of the worst matches that you've had to sit through this season? Oh, gosh. Um, there, unfortunately, are a couple. Um yeah, the the loss to Southampton was terrible. Uh, right after Boxing Day, that was that was a dreadful one. Oh uh, two, and then I mean losing United multiple times this season is is never great. It just feels like getting slapped in the face. Uh, I, I'm sure it rings worse for you, Brandon, having a family member that is a United supporter. He's a casual yeah. fan, not that bad. <laughs> yeah, well, is is Dan? You drag us through all of these painful moments. Uh, on this tour, uh, which one stands out to you that, you know, you personally, for whatever reason, just, it was like, that was the one that I really struggled with. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I would probably say the second, uh, the, the, the second lost United, um, that that was unfortunate. The four the four nil opening day is just kind of a, I think a super fluky one. But losing again and allowing Ole to put put both hands on the wheel and and set on cruise control felt a little unfortunate. Nick, what about you? Uh, I mean, I I felt some of our draws have been just as painful as some of our losses. Mm. Um, I think the the two two to Bournemouth was a really bad result. Um, and, and honestly, shouldn't, should have never happened. We also shouldn't have lost to them at home on kind of a fluky overhead kick, but we were dreadful in that game too. Um, there have been, there's been a lot of, (laughs) a lot of these to pick from, uh, you know, I think looking back at early champions league stages as well, like the loss at home to Valencia was totally avoidable. (laughs) and and certainly shouldn't have happened so i don't know i uh, joe I'm, I'm 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 much more prone to focus on on the bad than the good but i think there there have been quite a few incredibly frustrating podcasts that we've done this year <laughs> after matches yeah um I, I i mean you can take your pick from the united games and the reason i say this i, I think i just think fundamentally they're rubbish you know this this is this is not this is not a a manchester <laughs> united team that that on paper or even even when I watch them play any team other than Chelsea, 
you know, this there's there's no fear factor for me. And yet, whenever we play them, we play into their hands. We play this high line. We we give them the ability to just encounter. And we we seem to have not learned from many of the performances. I mean, again, you know, go back to the first game. We were we were well on top for the first 25 minutes. You know, Tammy hits the post, and then bang, they score, and then it just seemed like the floodgates opened. And you know, the the two nil game. I think it was. And if that was the most recent one, but it was just so, so disappointing to see such an absolutely bang average United team turn up and, and just coast past us in like first gear. I think that, that that's probably been the most disappointing one because I think again, you know, four points from from the two league games that we've lost to them. I mean, again, it puts us in such a, a much more infinitely comfortable position. Um, and uh, did we lose to Bournemouth at home this season? I seem to have a f- yeah, that that one as well. We just did. just because I mean, yep. it's, you know. It's Bournemouth. I don't want to. I don't want to demean them too much, but I mean, it is Bournemouth. They've had a lot of injury issues too, so it's not even like a good Bournemouth. Yeah, it's, yeah exactly. Yeah, it's, <laughs> not, it's not even good Bournemouth. It's just that whenever we play them, you know, we make their front three look like the old uh, kind of Neymar, Suarez, Messi kind of trio. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it, I, I have to echo. Uh, I think the, the the United games this season, but that that two 0 game was 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 painful because I mean, they they looked like they they didn't even have to try to beat us. That's the first time I can say that in a while. They're beating us with a guy named Fred. Yeah, I mean, like, you, you, you've, got, you've got to have at a least a proper Brazilian name in the team, not a guy called Fred who could be from Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Yeah, I, look, for you know whatever reason, the United losses sting more to me this season. And I think that it's because it's been kind of fun watching them be shit a lot of the season. But then it's like they turn up against us and it's – the most frustrating thing in the world because they are at 120% and Chelsea are at a good 60%. Yeah. And it's just like, how are they always catching us on these off days? And, you know, and, but if, if, you know, I try to bring a little logic to it, it's like, well, to be fair, they do have some good players in the team. They don't collectively play that well versus again, the Southampton, the Bournemouth, the, the, some of these teams at the bottom of the table that we've had no business losing to and like struggling against Watford early in the season. Yet here we are kind of, you know, just squeaking by. And so um, I just think that there's still a rivalry and a sense of pride that comes with the United. And like, you know, we, we don't care as much about the teams at the bottom of the table. Cause we're like, look, you're at the bottom of the table. You're not really a rival. We're not, it was a fluke. We, you know, obviously we should have won. We didn't. So like hats off to you for winning, but these United matches and an Arsenal and a Tottenham and there are teams in the league that you just have to perform against because of the rivalry and the pride that goes into it. And I think that's why we've all literally listed United at one point or another as we talk about kind of the worst matches of the season. Um, and that's fair. That's that's very fair. We we should be just pummeling United right now. Kick them while they're down. And we haven't. We've done the absolute opposite and uh, given them a chance to um, give them a chance to you know put them put them to the sword, put them out of their misery. And now they're in the hunt for top four. So let's go ahead and wrap this up with an overall grade for Mister Frank Lampard. Um, we can go with a typical, I guess, Joe, can you do A, B, C, D, F? Is that okay? Can you conform to our standards over here? Conform to the American standard of grading. Yes, it's, it's fine, yeah. All right. <laughs> we like to force our views on the world. You know this, Joe. <laughs> I mean, you're talking to someone from Britain who had what, the largest empire the world's ever seen. So, yeah, we're both in the same boat. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, 
let's keep it simple. Uh, I don't want to do pluses and minuses. Let's just try to stick to straight letter grades for simplicity purposes. Uh, does anyone want to volunteer to go first? Or Sure. All right. Okay, Nick. Solid B. Solid B. I think they're... Again, we, we've kind of given all the contextual relevance in this podcast that we could for, for why, but I think particularly with some of the headwinds that he had going against him at the beginning of the year, um, he's definitely struggled at times. You know, there, let's not make any mistake about it, but bringing in the youth, playing attractive football a lot of the time, you know, a lot of the things that, you know, you know, it's instilling pride that we've talked about. So uh, yeah, solid B. If he, if he gets top four, and, you know, whatever else comes with who knows what will happen the rest of the season, uh, I, I may consider him consider moving him up because he would have put us in a position to, to become world beaters again. I like it. Seems reasonable. Dan, do you want to go? Yeah, I think B is where I landed, too. I think it, it gets the opportunity to rise to an A if uh, top four plus if we continue the FA Cup and we win the FA Cup, I would say top four and a trophy first season in the Premier League with all the youth promotions and the headwinds, I, I would go up to an A. Uh, Tweeds, what about you, sir? Yeah, I'm, uh, I realize I'm going to spell out big baller brand here, but it's a B for me as well. <laughs> <laughs> Just wow. notice, I, well, uh, so for, I mean, for those of people who aren't, listening to this i mean there's like a, a real-time document being up, updated with b's at the moment so i'm just like oh it's big true. baller brand or my initials i mean we can bring it back to yeah, me. Uh, yeah i apologize yeah <laughs> it's fine mr, mr. mr. busby um big baller busby big baller busby yeah <laughs> yes yes all, all sponsorships are now dropped because of copyright infringement but yeah I mean, you, can do, you guys can deal with that later but uh yeah i i agree the same i mean i think lampard started strong i think the middle of the season was a bit tricky but i'd say certainly the last five six seven games or so where we've seen some changes and i think some real growth from lampard as a manager brings it back up to a, a solid b for me champions league football at the end of the season hopefully fingers crossed i mean it's a, a really good start and then yeah get him some players and see what he can do all right so not to be super annoying but i could go a or c and here's why i could go c because he's struggled with the lower teams in the league i could say c because he hasn't been pushed in the champions league yet and so I would. The only reason I could say C is because there's a lot of things he hasn't done yet, but that's okay. We it's a part of his progression. He's not an A level manager right now. If you compare him to other people in the world, now I could also say A because if you take him in the situation secluded to Chelsea, lost Eden Hazard, signed no one. Now, granted, we could have in January, maybe should have, but we haven't signed anyone. He's coming in with a lot of young players, balancing with a lot of experienced players. There's been inconsistencies. All our expectation was from the beginning was to get top four. Up to this point, he's done that. And we are even making a run in the FA Cup, which is like best case scenario. So if you kind of take the Chelsea only metrics, he's doing everything we've asked him to do. It hasn't been pretty and hasn't been clean. So that's why I could kind of waffle one way or the other. And so he probably it's fair to just go with a B and say, hey, he's not the greatest manager in the world. It's only his second season. No one expects him to be. But he's also done what he's had to do so far this season um, to, to put Chelsea at a, at a place to be competitive next season. Because now more than ever, we're seeing how important that Champions League money and TV revenue is. And he's gotten us to that point. So um yeah that's that's kind of my take on it i'm knock on wood yeah there you go 
Well, I'm super interested to hear what you listeners think of a lot of this. I mean, especially all about Frank. How has he done? What has he done well? What does he need to improve on? What's your overall grade for him? Um, we are happy to get involved on social and in our Discord server about that. So we'll make sure to put it out there. But again, Tweets, thank you so much for double duties today. You are a champion, a true man of the people. We appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It's been, uh, it's been really fun. Well, I'm sure we'll take you up on your offer uh, with your newfound free time as well. Uh, Nick and Dan, gentlemen, a blast as always. To our listeners, thank you. You're the most important part of this podcast. Without you, we'd be nothing. So get involved, engage with us, please. We love it on social media as well. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.